This project was produced by Planet FM with support from New Zealand On Air. The series features 15 candid conversations with people from migrant and former refugee backgrounds, sharing their stories, their lived experience, their own perspectives and covering some sensitive topics. I'm Alina from Storio, and you're listening to Pass the Mic. Due to the global pandemic, we've recorded these conversations from the comfort of our homes. This is episode four. In this episode, I'm talking to Maria Haidar, who has a Syrian, Azeri, and Russian ethnic background. Hi, Maria. Very excited. Um, I feel like we've met throughout lots of like Storio events and chatted on the internet a lot um but haven't spoken like one-on-one curious all the background and all of your work and thoughts um around ethnicity ethnic communities and that narrative to start with i guess the main to really figure out what it means to be living in Atura. i would love to hear about your background a little bit about your journey where are you from let's get into it thank you um thank you for having me and I am super pumped and super nervous as well, so my voice can like crack at the most awkward moments sometimes, so please don't mind that. I guess in terms of my background, to make the story as short as possible, I am originally from Russia, but actually don't really identify as Russian um, because I'm mixed, so I identify as Arab. I was born in Russia, but... um, My entire family, actually, the background of them is they're all migrants. I think the only person who was actually born in Russia was my mom. But she has um, Azeri heritage, which is like from Azerbaijan. My family traveled quite a lot. Uh, My dad is from Syria, so his line, like his family line, I was the first one to be born outside. Um, So, yeah, it's quite interesting. I don't think I look very Russian either. you You grew up in Russia? I grew up in Russia. It was pretty interesting because... Um, I went to public school for the most part of my life and like public schools in Russia are not the same as public schools in New Zealand so you get like a lot a lot of intense like moments Um, and I don't think I had anyone in in a class who looked like me so you know you get very I guess pale skin blonde hair people went to the private school for two last years of high school so when I was 15 I moved across to a different school um, and that's how I ended up in New Zealand because I got the diploma that allowed you to apply for like English speaking countries. And it was like my, you know, ticket out of the country. Um, was very grateful for that. Is it something your parents wanted to, you to do to like usually, you know, when you were a kid, or like a migrant that is younger age migrant, like when I was 16, I came to New Zealand as well. So I think it's very similar to you. It's, Usually because parents want to send the kids overseas. Was that the same story with you and your family? I actually, no. My parents are pretty, like, they're pretty Asian. So they, like, they're pretty conservative. Um, and they always wanted me to stay in Russia and go to, like, we have this, like, fancy university in Moscow where, like, the kids of diplomats go. Like, it's called Gimor. I guess as a journey in a private school, people were dreaming of going you know overseas and studying overseas and I was like oh my god that's a possibility like really I can do that as well and I guess when I started applying I had like a bit of existential crisis and I like applied to different different countries 
and the reason I applied to New Zealand is because the application fee was zero dollars. So me being in Russia, like every application costs you 30 like US dollars, which is pretty big in Russian rubles. And I'm like, okay, well, I can't pay for another application. So I'm just going to apply to free, like free universities. Um, and then New Zealand accepted me. I don't know, like higher, like longer term plans or something about coming to New Zealand. And what did you want to do here? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting question. I think, I think when you move overseas, you kind of forced to plan out your life more than an average person your age. But yeah, definitely in terms of like big picture, I, I just wanted to get, I guess, outside of Russia and experience something different, something, you know, what, what normal people would have like growing up um that was my biggest plan and I never thought I'd stay because I thought oh culture shock like maybe I can't handle it I am pretty you know pretty Russian in some ways um what does that mean just like the way I guess I behave like pretty straightforward I don't I'm pretty loud don't sugarcoat things so when the when those things build up you kind of feel alienated from um something as different as a Kiwi culture. But here I am, four years later, um, kind of thriving. And also when I moved, I didn't have any job goals at all. I just kind of wanted to have some money to enjoy myself in New Zealand. Um, But I guess at a time when I was getting my degree, I also hoped it would get me into like that tech startup environment um, because I feel like I'm doing it pretty well. Um, and yeah, I am. I do work for quite a big startup now. It's it's Shopify. Just kindly promoting it on the podcast. So <laughs> cool, cool. And if I if I were to read your little um some form that you submitted for the podcast, it was you said I've recently started work at Shopify. I'm the capitalistic girl boss by day and anarchist by night. I have also coined the term anarchy under the table which means doing something that actually matters during your working hours but your management can't know about it yeah tell me more about anarchy under the table what does that mean how does it show up in your life and in your work and oh man i hope no one from my team is listening right now because i do not know how to face them during our team times but um yes anarchy under the table that's my pride and joy as well um Long story short, yes, it is something doing that matters, uh, but your management can't know. But I actually, my my management is pretty open-minded and I'm already involved in diversity and belonging in Shopify. So it's been a pretty cool journey, but sometimes I think you have to be quite subtle about things that matter because people can get defensive and some topics are very sensitive. And that's something that I had to learn because, you know, me being my Russian self, I'm like, going forward oh diversity belonging but some people are not ready for the conversation and that's okay you just have to you know prepare them kind of like you season the chicken before you fry it so i love that analogy you season the chicken before you fry yeah yeah a big big part of this um work here and why we wanted to do past the mic is to talk about what it means to be an ethnic person in new zealand and I find the term ethnic person quite interesting because some people like ethnic person can mean gazillion different things, right? Then there is a term people of color. Do you have a personal preference of how you would call yourself or what do you think about the whole idea of a person of color or an ethnic person? I find it quite 
challenging to talk about that topic because sometimes um, I assume positive in people, but sometimes I think when they ask about my ethnicity or my belonging, it's the sole reason why they're asking is to put me in some sort of a box so they can make a judgment about what sort of person I am and how to approach me. And that's fine because it's kind of like a, not a defense mechanism, but it is the mechanism of how like humans operate. But I find it so confrontational because I am forced to tell them my entire ancestry and life story only for them to make a judgment like about what I say. If someone was to address me about that question, I think I would prefer the term woman of color because, I don't know, ethnic person, it's kind of like calling someone, like, I don't know, like calling someone exotic. It doesn't sit right with me and I don't know why. So I think I would prefer person of color or woman of color or, you know, migrant, refugee, something like that. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the beauty, right? Like everyone has a different relationship to how they want to be called. But yeah, it's just, I find it such a good discussion to have with people. I can just see where they're coming from and not, um, and see where the meaning. Yeah. So what is it like, you know, if you talk about, if we talk about self, like sense of self and sense of identity, what do you think it means for you? Like personal, do you think about your sense of identity often and how does it change depending on a context in New Zealand? Like, what do you think it means? to be a Kiwi or to be a person or woman of color? Like- um, to address the first question, I think about it all the time. There is not a single day that passes by without me thinking about it. And recently I actually came to the conclusion that can I like can I just not identify as anything? Because it sounds very depressing, but I think when you're mixed or biracial or have multiple ethnicities that don't really match each other, you just kind of end up being in the limbo. And it's very important to talk about it because people want to belong and they want to associate with certain groups of people because you feel safe. Um, But for me, I found it easier to not be part of those groups at all. Um, And I was just thinking, can I like not be anything? Can I be just a human? Can I be a woman of color? But without having to explain my entire heritage to people, figured out what it means to be Kiwi yet. I think I have certain ideas on how to integrate into the culture better, but I haven't found an answer on what, like, how do you become a Kiwi? What, what is it that, you know, sets you from migrant to, to migrant Kiwi? I, I don't know if there is an answer to that. But what it means to be a person of color is, is people look at you and you have to make sure that you're not too confrontational so people don't, you know, label you as aggressive or is is something stereotypically Russian or Arab. Um, and yeah, I found that being a person of color, you have to think five steps ahead. You're kind of like playing chess with people all the time, except you're constantly losing, but you're kind of like making sure that there is a chance to win for you. So you have to be thinking ahead all the time and it's very exhausting, but um, that's something all of us have to do. Just imagine we talk about integration and assimilation and how like every single person would tell you, oh my God, like your English is so good. Or, oh, I can't even hear your accent. Or, oh, you, you're integrated. Like you've been in New Zealand for a couple of years. But I think what people don't understand is that integration is not like a step that you overcome. It's a constant work. And actually for me personally, I don't want to speak on behalf of all you know, migrants everywhere. But for me, 
integration actually depends on the day that I'm having in my mood. Because sometimes I wake up and I just can't deal with shit anymore. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to be a bit Russian today. I'm just going to people tell people how I feel. And then other days, important meetings are coming up and I, you know, I sit down with my partner and I have this talk. I'm like, oh, do I sound appropriate? He reads over my emails if I'm angry. And it's always work in progress. It's a process. Um, and you have to make sure that you, you know, you wake up every morning and you have to set this mindset that, okay, am I a Kiwi or am I a migrant today? And it's a scale. And it's interesting. I wonder how much of it also is being a woman of color, like, uh, the be you know not coming off as aggressive and all of that stuff like it's something that um, I constantly actually get Steve and my partner to read over my emails when I'm trying to say something like be more assertive or establish a boundary or say something and it's funny because for me it's funny because I feel like I'm quite a confident person and I'm not really afraid of like public speaking or whatever yet I the the number of times I've asked my partner to read over an email and be like, am I coming off like angry? Am I coming off, you know, am I making sense? Is this, and I wonder how many times, I mean, I don't know, actually, anecdotally, I wonder how many times like men do that <laughs> and like ask, I, I've never been asked by anyone to read over their email and check if they're sounding angry, you know? Being a woman of color is that you constantly doubting yourself you're constantly doubting yourself and it's like a vicious cycle of you know oh, do I sound okay like am I being too assertive like are they gonna label me as aggressive all of that and there is no escape from it because you're never gonna understand English 100% because this language doesn't make any freaking sense and then it's a vicious cycle of having to ask your partners your friends your family your co-workers to read over your communication to make sure that you know you're not being too aggressive Although, like, what does it even mean? Yeah. Oh, oh, I love that, Maria. Um, I want to talk to you about your work with authenticity, Aotearoa, a little bit. Do you like there's a bit of a theme maybe around the whole, like, ethnic or person of color identity and New Zealand and integration or whatever that looks like? Um, what are the some of the main maybe things that you find you gravitate towards or, like, more passionate about in this area? Yeah, I definitely enjoy my work around Authenticity Aotearoa because what we do is we provide space for, to have mental health conversations, to have conversations around just well-being of women of colour. Um, and we have, you know, Zoom calls, events. We met up just before Christmas. And um, I definitely enjoy that because I think there's, um, there's, de there's demand to discuss that because there's so many young women of color that don't have you know access to mental health care or anything and sometimes you just want to have a friend to to you know to have a chat with so yeah that's definitely i enjoy that mahi and i i want to be involved more when the time allows when it comes to the notion of a trailblazer or like a successful migrant or someone who when you say i'm an advocate or an activist or i'm care about this thing I feel like I, I thought that there was just like societal expectation that oh I'm known I must be doing speaking presentations about on the topic I must have like all this being interviewed in my thought leadership you know all these things that I felt like I had to be to to say that I care about the topic or that I'm an advocate for it how do you feel about that notion of like a being successful representative of something oh man big questions big questions um 
definitely pressuring. I hate the notion like of success that we have in our communities of becoming, you know, a successful migrant. I actually find it quite hard because if you think about it, if someone asks you, oh, what are like, some of the well-known activists that you know, you can only probably name five people off the top of your head. So there is always like this competing competing process of becoming like well-known like you have to have followers you have to have you know engagements on your post you have to have people reposting you have to be making infographics every day but what like people I guess don't realize is there is a difference between news that make it global and there is a difference between your and there's a difference like to your personal experience as well not everything that you live through has to be news or has to be spoken about sometimes like what you say just has to be taken um is like your living experience and i find it quite hard to communicate because i'm quite active on instagram and some things that i post are just interactions with like other activists or other you know advocates and they don't have to make it anyway I don't have to become popular or successful I don't have to have articles written about me because my life is still my life and like that happened so doesn't make it any less valid if it's not talked about you know what I mean like it's it doesn't it it doesn't work like that before we dive into the like changing systems and what needs to change or what you know leadership looks like in New Zealand I actually wanted to ask you a bit more about the Syrian Russian identity like what, how would you describe this? Like, what does it mean to you? Because I feel like, you know, I can relate to the maybe a little bit of a Russian part, but I would love to hear, I would love to hear about actually both. Like, I'm not from Russia, for example, right? So it's probably a bit different anyways. What, um, yeah, what does it mean for you to be Syrian, to be Russian? Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to give like a straight up honest to God answer. I have no idea. There is so much going on with my family. It's going to take me 200 years to unpack all of the, intergenerational trauma we went through at different times but I think um what do I think I think hold on let me let me kill my thoughts man identity it, it scrambles my brains every time yeah so when it comes to Syrian identity being Arab uh somehow somehow closely relates to being Muslim and I think in the community I spoke to it's not I'm not talking you know shit i spoke to a lot of people from syrian diaspora in new zealand actually so not just all just random syrians syrian new zealanders being muslim somehow closely relates to being arab because if you're religious if you you know if you wear um religious clothing like hijab um if you just follow what it means to be Muslim, to what it means to be good Muslim, it somehow justifies you being Arab more than if you're just non-religious Arab, or if you, for example, don't you know speak the language or don't pray. Um, and for me, it's hard because I also don't speak Arabic um, because my dad never taught me the language. Uh, it's kind of, I found myself trying to justify me being Arab a bit too much. So I'm taking a step back now because I actually don't have to, prove myself to be an Arab if it makes sense um, and then there's Russian part comes in which actually isn't Russian it's Azeri from Azerbaijan and what happened is we are ethnically Persian like we are from Iran um, and there's like a lot of bloody history so I don't want to go into that but then there's like this whole mix of identities so I find myself questioning who do I who do I identify as who am I and that's looping back to 
you know, can I just not be anything? And with Russian, it's so messy as well. Like, I don't, I don't really want to go into that. But if you think about it, we just have so much history and not good history as well. And then half of the Russians are like indigenous people that we don't really recognize. And we just think of them as like, I don't know what we think of them. People think a lot of stupid things. Um, but yeah, it's it's a whole mix. So I don't know. I don't know who I am when it comes to my identity, but I'd love to get that figured out. But can we even figure that out? You know, like that's an important question. Can we? <laughs> Maybe it's a, just a, yeah, a journey. Because I mean, like if I'm thinking about what it means for a long time, what it means to be a person from Kazakhstan, because I would identify so strongly with being Russian back home. My mom, my mom is Russian, although she was adopted. So we don't actually know if she's Russian, but we assume she is. Um, and my dad is Kazakh and I grew up with my mom, single mom. So I think I identified so closely with being Russian. I didn't speak Kazakh. Um, I, again, like, I don't know, there was a lot of interracial weirdness and is now in Kazakhstan between Russians and Kazakh. So I would always say I'm Russian back home, Russian, 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 even though I look very Kazakh (laughs) and coming here, I think I'm more strongly identifying with identity of Kazakh purely because of I see how identity and culture is perceived here and I almost want to like counteract that with like saying no no I am from Kazakhstan I am Kazakh and Russian and here's all the things and here's what I don't agree with my culture and here's what I think we should do better but here is how I am here showing up in New Zealand culture and it's interesting to me like I my surname, for example, uh, is Ashenbaeva, which is a long surname. No one can, if people actually read it, they can pronounce it properly, but they're just afraid to read it um, or afraid to like, pronounce it. And I always wanted to change my surname, always. Since I was a kid, I'm like, I'm going to change my surname. And my mom and dad divorced anyway, so it's my dad's surname. Um, my mom has a different surname now. And for a long time, I'm like, I'm going to change my surname. As soon as I'm getting my New Zealand citizenship, I'm changing my surname. And I got my citizenship few months ago and I was so strong on not changing it I was like I'm gonna keep it it's a long and hard ethnic you know um surname and screw it people should try and pronounce it I used to think I want to be western I want to be like my surname should be easily readable like I want to you know and now I'm more and more figuring out like I don't think if I go back home people think I'm like a, a foreigner so it's this interesting weird balance of never knowing really what the hell does it mean to be ethnic or what identity means and stuff. So I can really relate to your thing of never figured it out. At some point, maybe we will feel a bit more, I don't know, comfortable. Actually, with last names, like my last name is, um, so it's Arabic, but it got translated into Russian and it got translated into English. So if you say it in English, which is Kada, it doesn't even make like any sense of what it, like it doesn't even sound Arabic anymore. But I guess in Russian, my last name is Haidar. And Russia is pretty anti-Semitic, okay? And, like, when I say anti-Semitic, it's not, like, only anti-Jewish. It's anti, like, Semit, like, the, you know, the Arab Peninsula sort of thing. And so people used to ask me if I'm Jewish, and then they say, no, I'm Arab. And then they're like, oh, my goodness, okay, that's even worse. So, like, that's the vibe I got from them. Um, And I also found myself in that rabbit hole of wanting to, change my name, change my last name, change my identity, like completely rewrite it. But at the end of the day, it is my last name. And, you know, I'm the first one to be born outside of Syria. So I might as well keep something (laughs) that belongs to me. 
um, definitely process of figuring it out. Yeah. I want to dive into kind of our last um, segment, which is probably quite big on its own, but we've kind of touched on it already a lot. And it's about the changing systems in New Zealand. Like what isn't working? What needs to be better? What kind of leadership do we need better? Like, what do you think when you think of New Zealand society systems, like any, and, and um, whatever comes to your mind, like it could be, you know, parliament or government, or it could be your workplace, or it could be just general societal interactions. Um, what do you think, currently when it comes to migrant refugees ethnic people of color like what some of the things that you want to see be better oh man touching on some big topics today eh? (laughs) um sunday morning for sure um i i have a few ideas but i'm like you know by no means i'm like a politician or like a policy maker that can actually like think all of that through I think as like just a single single individual coming to another country, what would have benefited me when I was here first, like in the first couple of years, is just having mental health support. And I know it's like a buzzword now, like, you know, mental health, mental issues, mental illnesses, people say it everywhere, but we don't give enough context when we say what we mean. So what, what I would have loved to see more is having mental health professionals who speak my language first of all because I'm not a native English speaker and if you can communicate in your native language you can communicate your issues and problems better because you can just find the right words when you say like when I first came here I could say I'm depressed but I don't have depression I'm not clinically diagnosed with depression and I say depressed when I mean I'm sad which is not the same thing so finding the right words in English is very hard so you can't communicate what you feel And if I had that mental health professional who spoke my language, who spoke Russian, um, I think it would have actually changed the course of my first few years because I could have communicated my issues better. And communication is key. And also, I think overall, you want to see people in leadership positions who look like you or who speak your language. I think pathways, pathways for migrants to support their own communities. Because how the hell a white person or like, you know, a New Zealander understands what we're going through they probably don't that it doesn't solve any problems i think what solves the problems is um dismantling the entire system that's built on (laughs) on um certain white supremacy so we need to dismantle those systems and build them anew but i guess like history does repeat itself so for now to address the problems we could have done that but it doesn't you know it doesn't solve anything so um yeah (laughs) Big words, eh? Big words. <laughs> I think it's interesting to talk about dismantling the system because a lot of people and a lot of um, in this area would agree when it comes to right, like leadership, uh, the way we build things, the way we build things to serve certain populations or support or support certain populations. Like if I'm a, let's say, uh, a white male, classic example, right? And I, I see so much representation of my pathways. In everywhere, in politics, in leadership, in CEO positions, in um, advocacy, in whatever, I feel a bit more secure in my identity because I'm from here, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and it's not, it's obviously generalizing, right? Like everyone has their unique way and stuff, but we always think for this work, right? When you're a person of color or a migrant or a refugee, all this mental gymnastic hoops um, really don't create a flourishing environment for you to like live a happy life (laughs) or whatever that might mean to you and to each person. I had a conversation with someone 
and they said how like I'm not a white supremacist I don't believe in far right but I think what people need to talk a bit more about is that white supremacy is not a far right ideology it's actually just a system that we benefit from um whether you you know pale skinned whether you're white passing whatever that means whether you speak English which is the most popular language because of colonial colonialism um it's a system that we benefit from and that is what white supremacy is it's not some random ideology that five five and a half people believe in you know like even being a migrant people don't realize that at the back like in at the back of our heads and our brains we always have so many things running like how do i get a residency how do i get citizenship how am i going to pay my medical bills like we always one paycheck away from falling into that irrecoverable debt like if you go to dental for example you're like always one treatment away from from not recovering at all and then i it also it's important to think to it's important to remember that we always think about health issues we always think about our family back home we always think about all of those things that new zealanders don't have to think so um yeah it's it builds up it's like my brain is always running at 20% because my other 80% are trying to figure out how to survive. Is there anything that you feel like maybe I haven't asked you or something that you would want to share about or... Just want to say big thanks for letting me, you know, have this one hour of, of just just talking about experiences because this is what's connecting. And I feel like you do um, provide people a platform to talk about those issues in a safe environment. Oh, thank you. And belong Aotearoa, who is, you know, this, yes, passed the mic as part of their um, baby and their work as well. Um, amazing. Thank you, Maria. Well, let's jump. Let's jump. We have four. We have four quick fire questions and it's just whatever comes to your mind. Um, the first one is, what is your favorite dish? Oh, okay. I got to go with Russian salad. Yes. You already knew that. But uh, just for the wider audience, Russian salad, it is a fancy version of potato salad. So um, yeah, if you wanna, ever want to try it, I'll, I'll cook it for you. Yeah. Yeah. Best salad ever. I agree. Um, if you could be the main character in the movie or a TV show, what would it, what would it look like? <laughs> okay. Uh, this is very funny because I saw this question in like the pack that you sent out to prepare and yesterday I was thinking about it like in bed and then I realized I want to be a character in bee movie not because I love bees but because people don't get the point of a movie this movie is amazing it takes the piss out of capitalism and if you all watched it as a kid you absolutely have to rewatch it after you turn 20 because there's so much more going on and I want to be I want to be that bee that figures out how to escape capitalism and live its bee life. If you could propose one like policy to New Zealand Parliament or one policy to your current workplace or or in any other workplace like what would it what would it be about? Oh, so many things, so many things. Okay, can we um can we drop the fee for residency application? It's just the first thing that came to mind $1500 guys. That's that that's like buying a new car. Can we please make it free? I mean, you're not gonna get people applying from overseas a lot, so we're already here. We're paying taxes. Please drop the fee. Thank you, and refund me as well, <laughs> please. <laughs> um, and last question, Maria. What makes you feel like a badass? What makes you feel empowered? A lot of things, but one of the recent ones. Um, I built a garden from scratch with my partner, so every morning we water it because gardens they are thirsty. So. It makes me feel empowered. I'm growing something. It's like having a child, but you can actually like eat it. Like 
Okay, that sounded very bad. Hold on. <laughs> okay, I'm growing vegetables, right? And I'm eating them, so you're getting something from your efforts. But now it made me sound bad because I feel like children are... Okay, just scratch the children. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, thank you so much, Maria. That was so, like, honestly, really freaking awesome for Sunday morning. And I just loved, I just loved all your... Yeah, I could relate. I could relate so hard. Like, even though I feel like we have probably quite a lot of different different experiences and stuff or pathways in life, just there's so much commonalities in how we feel and how we like move through life and some of the narratives that society imposes sometimes that we struggle with. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It it was an absolutely pleasant experience. It's my first podcast, so I was quite nervous. And I think there is also, when you listen to podcasts, there is always pressure to give out like some sort of lessons. But I hope, I hope everyone who does hear my story just takes away something that they might relate to. You don't necessarily have to learn anything. Probably, actually, don't learn from me. I know nothing. So, um, yeah, I hope it was enjoyable for whoever made it that far <laughs> in the recording. So that was Maria. Thank you for listening. If you haven't already, check out the 14 other incredible conversations in the series. Share, subscribe, send to someone who might benefit from either feeling seen or learning more about ethnic experiences in Aotearoa. These conversations are a collaboration of Belong Aotearoa, Planet FM, Storio and Sport Waitakere. So you can find the links to those excellent organizations in the bio. Thank you to our funder, Auckland Council Regional Development Fund, and to New Zealand On Air. Yeah.